Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey everyone and welcome to the Boost Your Biology podcast. My name is Lucas and I'm the founder of Ergogenic Health. Together in this podcast series, we will go underground to explore cutting edge health and human performance insights that you simply cannot search on Google to help you upgrade your existence. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Boost Your Biology podcast. Today's special guest is the co-founder and CEO at Glycanage. She's a successful entrepreneur with 12 years of experience and is now on a mission to unlock the human glycome for preventative health and longevity. Nicolina Lauch, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lucas. Thank you for having me here. Awesome. So, Nicolina, I'd love to get to know you a little bit better. Tell us how you got interested in this space of human longevity and the the glycone. So, it definitely didn't start uh, with longevity. It started with glycans. And it depends on how far you want me to go, but we can go all the way to the beginning. So, my father started in the glycobiology lab when he was 20. Uh, it was his first, he, he worked with his way up into a lab way before you usually join a lab. And there's a funny story of how he did that, but I'll, I'll spare you this time. And somewhere in between, he met my mother, who was a neuroscientist, or she was a little bit, she was older than him, so they were in different career paths. And they were working together on a, on a study of glycans in the brain, glycans in brain aging. Uh, and they published their first collaborative paper with their like, lead in the lab in 1991, which is when the, I was conceived, <laughs> and this is where it all started. So that's a funny story. 
there, but my glycobiology is a new space, so it hasn't really reached mainstream. And if you look at size of the space, like if you look at neuroscience, you have hundreds of thousands of scientists in the space. And if you look at glycobiology, you have hundreds of scientists around the world. So my dad was one of the pioneers there, and uh, his group then did the first large study of this part of biology uh, back in 2006, because you didn't really have the tools to study it, uh, not at scale. You, you can look at it in, in a small scale, but you can really look at it at, in, in a thousand people. So they did that uh, a while ago now, and then when they started to look at these bigger studies of, of a couple thousand people, they noticed that if they look at a disease, they can't understand it unless they know age of a person, because that would be a stronger signal than, than the disease. And then they realize they're actually seeing an aging mechanism that happens pre-disease, but can really change a health outcome. So you can have a young person who has an older age score because of a condition, and then you can have a healthy old person who has the same profile without a condition. So there's this underlying aging mechanism that they were seeing. And then that was developed into an aging clock in 2013. It was one of the first aging clocks. So it was actually, you have this genetic aging clocks and you have the glycan aging clocks. Both were published on the same date and year, 10 years ago now. And we're celebrating their anniversary in October this year. So from there, I did... I was a tech entrepreneur for 10 years, so my path was very different post-uni. And I've always had this pitch from my father <laughs> that glycans are the thing, that these, they're the future, that this is what, what we should be doing, and that this aging clock has a potential to become something that helps people or our product. So I gave in about three years ago, and here we are. And I also, not just that I gave in, I personally invested in the company. I was the first investor in, and we commercialized it over the last couple of years. Yeah, fantastic. I'd love to get into the nitty-gritty around the biological age versus chronological age, and I know you mentioned the glycans. Maybe did you want to explain to my listeners, first of all, maybe did you want to explain what are glycans? Let's start with that, because that's mainly what people have not heard of them much. And in simple, glycans are sugars. So if you look at biology, we have four components, DNA, protein, lipid, and carb. And glycans are the carb part. But when you say complex sugars, when you say sugars, a lot of times people think about sugars you eat. And they think about a process called glycation, or AGEs, advanced glycation end products. That's completely different to glycans. That's how sugars you're eating are influencing or even damaging your biology. That's more glucose than the simple sugars you consume. Glycans, or glycosylation, is a mechanism where you develop a complex carb within your cell. It becomes a core component of your proteins, your lipids. It surrounds all of your cells. And its role in biology was to enable us to be multicellular, to enable multicellular life to enable everything in their biology to work. So they have different roles in, in, in many things. For example, one simple role is blood groups. So your blood groups, your glycans and blood cells define your blood group. So you have a different blood group because of glycans. Another simple role, simple, is conception. 
sperm coats itself in glycans that look friendly to the immune system, to the female's immune system. So it uses this to evade the female immune system and enable conception. That's another role of glycans. But it's really communication. If you think of it, it's communication across everything in biology. And our focus has been the immune system. So glycans on your antibodies, and then you're looking at your adaptive immune system, so your immune system throughout life. And their role, so you see a genetic component of it, you see an epigenetic component, and then you see your immediate environment. So what's really happening right now, what happened from the beginning, and where is your health in general, because your immune system goes into everything and is part of most of the chronic diseases that we develop later on in life. Excellent. And so, Nicolene, I'd love to learn more about the, the differences between biological age versus chronological age. I'm somewhat aware of what the differences are, but maybe do you want to explain to my audience what's the key difference between the two? Yeah, I always forget to start with the simple part. So <laughs> chronological age is what's on your passport. So this is your age that comes with your ID card, when you were born, how much time has passed. Biological age is more the age of your body or your inner age and how that has changed through time that's more related to your health. So you can, you can have a very young chronological age, but because you've been living poorly or you had a poor lifestyle habits, you could be running your body far faster than you should be. Yeah. And you so think if we... As, sorry, sorry. I was going to use a small analogy. So you can think of it as when you bought your car is the age of your car and then mileage is biological age. Yeah, so how, yeah that makes sense. How much did you use it? Sense. How much did you run it? Yeah. yeah, so then if we have a look at some of the, like, I guess, interventions or strategies to um, reduce someone's biological age, I'd imagine that you've seen a range of different data points and different um, interventions and protocols. I'd love to hear about some of the strategies that people are adhering to specifically lower and reduce their biological age? So you have an element of this, which is heart science. So what are the interventions that we have studied in trials that show to be effective in reducing biological age? And there we have quite a lot of different interventions that showed successful and that showed unsuccessful. And then you have on the individual basis, in like the biohacker space or just generally health enthusiasts, a lot of times you're following things because somewhere you heard that something is beneficial, but you don't usually have an objective way to track it. So this would be a nice way for you to evaluate anything you're trying to do and also to see if it works for you as an individual. So we see a lot of things that we haven't yet studied in research work for individuals when they apply it to reduce their biological age, but we can't say, hey, we have hard science around this. We can say this worked for this person. And then another thing is we can say we have heart science. So if you like, I can talk about the heart science. Or, yeah. yeah, for sure. Yep. A while ago now, when we realized there's an aging clock, the question was, can you change it? Because what's the point of knowing a biological age unless you can influence it? In the end, that would be bad news if there's nothing we can do. So the first was a very simple study in 2015, 16, in a nursing home where they just put them on a mild exercise and diet, like more healthy food, not, not so much a diet, but a healthy food and exercise program. And they saw the clock move in a positive direction. Small steps, but even in later age, so in the nursing home, you can move the clock. 
backwards with lifestyle. Then second one from there was uh, diet and exercise. So there was one big study on uh, 1,000 people going on caloric restriction, and that worked. But this was a quite intense caloric restriction, so 800 calories uh, per day for eight weeks. And everybody was slightly overweight in the trial. So we didn't have that with people with regular weight. It was a trial with slightly overweight. And then in that period, we see biological age reverse in everyone. As a trend, it goes down. So weight loss, caloric restriction, something that's already been proven in animals to extend um, life expectancy, works in people too. It's just that people don't like to live hungry if they can choose or if, you know, so it requires quite a bit of willpower. Some people are willing to do it, but they're the few. After this caloric restriction of eight weeks, everyone went on a certain nutrient proportion diet that was high carb, high fat, high protein, different variations of those. And we fo- they were followed for another couple of months. And what we saw is that in every of these diets, half people respond beneficially, their age goes down, Half people respond negatively, even to a high-carb diet. You have people respond positively, you have people respond negatively. So when it comes to nutrition, there is a personalized diet or a diet that works for you. And that's probably why the nutrition space is full of these conflicts of keto versus vegan versus whatever new diet is on the block. And actually, all of these diets can be beneficial for certain people. And you just have to see where do you fit as an individual and what works for you. So personalized diet is the way to go. Then we looked at gut health. So a few studies, were, but these were uh, patients with colitis. And then you would do a microbiome transplants from a healthy donor into a patient with a condition. And we would see the whole gly- glycome change in an anti-aging, anti-inflammatory way. So anything... The focus is on gut health, and now we're looking at not to do transplants because that's not something you can easily or you want to easily replicate unless you, you have a real need for it. You can influence your gut health with uh, diet. Uh, you can influence it with fermented foods, with diverse locally sourced products, with particular supplements and so forth. So we, we have a lot of things running on those. Exercise was an interesting one. So we thought that all types of exercise will be beneficial and that there is no limit to how much much exercise you should do and you will just get benefits. But then what we learned is that certain types of exercise work, but then you can also overdo it and go in the wrong direction. And just to go back to what we measure, because we measure glycans on your antibodies, we look at your immune system and chronic inflammation. And this is now inflammation that's there for a day because the half-life of these molecules is very long. It's inflammation that's been there for months. So it's not when you do sports and you have inflammation the next day, the next couple of days, that's good inflammation. You're building new muscle. You should have that inflammatory response. But when you have inflammation that's lingering for weeks and months, then you have chronic inflammation that can be a risk to many things in, in, in your future. So you want to avoid it from sports. It's not as beneficial. So we did one study with sprint training, a group of 40 people just doing sprints, no, no particular diet, in a sports school, so they're already quite athletic. And everyone in that cohort got younger in 12 weeks. So hit, and, and these were uh, in, interval sprints, 
HIT training seems to be going in the, in the right direction. Then we did another study, which was bodybuilding. Bodybuilding in women. And you had half of them on a diet and half of them just exercise. And the whole group becomes pro-inflammatory. Their age goes up. We also looked at not just the glycan age, but we looked at gene expression, we looked at all kinds of immune cells, and everything changes in a negative <coughs> pro-inflammatory way. Also, the women will lose their cycles, and there'll be a lot of those, their hormones would go down, they would lose bone density, and other things that also mimic aging in some way. And then they were followed up after three months. The ones which just exercised recovered, so they went back to their baseline. There was no permanent damage there after the competing. And the ones which dieted and exercised at the same time, they stayed elevated. So their biological age did not go down in the three months recovery period. So the fear we have there seems to be that restricting calories is good if you're just restricting calories. Exercise is good if you're just exercising. But if you are forcing your body to build new muscle and then you're starving it at the same time, which we call energy insufficiency, so you don't have enough recovery, you don't have enough nutrition, then you cause the opposite and you create pro-aging changes. So exercise is a bit more complex. And of course, everybody has a different tolerance to different types of exercise. So some people can do a lot and not cause damage. Other people do very little and they cause damage. So it's quite individual. And I can keep going. We can go into drugs now. <laughs> or if you have maybe some questions from here. Yeah, for sure. First of all, I'd like to yeah, look at that, the bodybuilding, the effect of like extremely intense weightlifting combined with caloric restriction or under eating is a perfect example of like overtraining syndrome, which completely makes sense. It's going to accelerate the rate at which you're aging because you're putting so much stress on the body, but you're not refueling and recovering with sufficient nutrition or like you said, under nutrition. As far as the testing goes, before we get into some of the drug interventions or supplementation, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really enjoy that bit, in terms of the testing frequency, so let's say somebody did first want to assess their, their glycome, how frequently should one undergo the test and how often is the test conducted usually? So it, it, it's always individual. If you're not doing anything, so you're not changing your lifestyle, you're not trying any new health intervention, even once a year is perfectly fine. And usually people do it around their annual health check. Sometimes they time it around their birthday. So as they're getting older, then they think about, okay, this is now it's the time to do my annual check-in with everything, especially my age. And usually it would change a year per year. So it tracks, your biological age still tracks aging quite well. But then it also depends on your year. You could have had a tough year. Maybe you had a very stressful job or you went for divorce, something else happened, and then we can see those effects on your biological age. So it's a nice way to check in where you are, how that year has gone. And then the other utility of it is to, yes, you can use it to measure damage. So if you had a tough period, which could be stress from something else in your life, or you, it could be physical stress. So you, you could be an athlete who's doing damage. And then when you, you want to see how much you have done in this period or post-competing, um, that's a good time to check in. Um, but we, 
if, you are, if you're starting some kind of new health intervention, we would re recommend a minimum of eight weeks. So most of the studies we run are eight to 12 weeks post-intervention, and that's because of the half-life. So the glycans have a half-life of three plus weeks, so you have to wait at least eight to see a full shift, and we say 12 is ideal to see an impact of an intervention. Awesome. So you would, yeah. Awesome, okay, that makes sense. I had a feeling it'd be a minimum, like a minimum eight weeks and or, so, or minimum eight to 12 weeks, that makes sense. As far as the interventions, some of the other interventions, I'd imagine you've probably looked into some of the anti-aging drugs on the market like rapamycin, mm -hmm. metformin, things like that. So do you want to maybe share what some individuals that have used glycanage, what they've noted, or if there is any hard science discussing the impact of certain medications? So we have a trial just coming out on metformin. And it was, and I don't have the full details because it's just being drafted. So I'm just going to talk about what I know, and hopefully it's correct. I can double check for you later. But it was a study with healthy people. Half went on just metformin. Half went on metformin and testosterone. And we saw positive effect or anti-aging in the metformin and testosterone group. We saw no effect in the metformin group. Now we know that the testosterone replacement can be good, of course, if you have it, if it's low, because of the conversion to estrogen. So we had a trial before that when you block testosterone in men and then you give them replacement, it works unless you block aromatase, which is a conversion of testosterone to estrogen. So actually the positive effect of testosterone was this conversion into estrogen. So estrogen is an interesting drug, both for men and women, and we can talk about that later. Metformin had no effect in healthy individuals. And mm -hmm. the reason for that on our biomarker, but we have seen it have dramatic effect in people with diabetes, so, or predisposed, or on a path to diabetes. So we're doing a study now where we're looking at individuals at risk or with the condition versus just healthy population. Because there will never be a one-size-fits-all in drug, in diet, in anything. And it's quite dangerous to say that, oh, this is the magic longevity drug, and then all of a sudden everybody takes it. Every drug has side effects. No drug works for everyone. And what has been shown before in the population studies is that diabetics on metformin outlive the average population. And these are still diabetics who are on metformin. So they have diabetes already, but they have this risk or predisposition of, of going there in the first place. So it potentially won't apply to everyone, but could be a brilliant drug for unhealthy population or population at risk, potentially. Mm. Rapamycin, we have some active trials, but we don't have any results. Everything's blinded, so I can't tell you any hard science around rapamycin. We have, of course, a lot of individuals trying it and coming back with results. Some of them come back with very good results. The trend we've seen in the individuals trying it is that dose really matters. And when they would increase their dose, their age can also go up. And it, sometimes it can go up dramatically, like 10 years in, in a couple of months. So rapamycin is probably very tied to, to dose. And we, we have a trial running which is testing different doses, plus a placebo. So once we have results from that, we can talk a little bit more about rapamycin. But for now, it's... a Mystery, potentially <laughs> beneficial, but dose is really 
uh, a tricky one because it's an well, immunosuppressant. So you want a little bit of that, but you don't want too much because you can predispose yourself to cancer. Yeah, and this is also interesting because we can look at the the mechanism of action with metformin at first. If we look at the the major ways in which that works, obviously, is through activating AMPK and suppressing mTOR, but no, nowhere near as strongly as rapamycin. But also metformin is having a... So suppressing gluconeogenesis, so stabilizing blood glucose, whereas rapamycin is primarily in, suppresses mTOR. Is, is that correct? Yeah. <clears throat> And mTOR is not all bad, and this is also not my field, so I can't go very deep into it, but definitely something that you want at a certain level, but not um, too much. Yeah, and also another way to like describe the effects or the action of metformin is almost like mimicking fasting, because it's activating that yeah. same pathway, so that makes a lot of sense. As far as, I'm curious to know more about the other interventions have you had any other like customers talk about various supplements they may have started some other anti-aging supplements like nmn things like that we did a small nad booster study uh, with the supplement brand it's even it, it's just being drafted at the moment but they do have some preliminary results on their website called nuchido and it's not a raw nad or it's more of like a you know they have a cocktail there which optimizes NAD production versus just putting the raw stuff in on its own and we saw it was only a one month trial that's the cohort and the samples they had so they didn't have the eight weeks they only had the four weeks which is not ideal for our marker but we did see a one point something year reduction in that one month in, it was placebo control so you had placebo and wow. you had the intervention study so potentially this is a good intervention. We're doing a longer study now, three months. And then if we have the same result in the longer study, then we can say quite firmly, this is going in the right direction. Um, mm. Before that, we did a study with omegas, like omega fortified eggs uh, in cardiovascular uh, disease patients. So half on placebo, half on that. And we did see effect in that now. You know, it, it's of course you have eggs plus you have the uh, omegas in there, so that's a you know a combination of something. But still, potentially that's like optimizing your omegas could be a way to go. There was a few smaller studies around zinc and vitamin D, but they were fractional, or they were looking at just part of the glycans we measure in the aging clocks. And in these parts that they were looking at, this was beneficial. Now, we don't know, does it, re does it rewind the whole aging clock? We don't know, but it seems to be changing important parts of it in a good way. So it's the supplements we know in studies. There's a lot running at the moment with, like, spermidine, different gut-focused supplements, because that was an area we thought, quite, we thought that would be quite impactful, and then also urolitin A, which is more mm. like a mitochondria booster. So we'll know all of those in Usually from when you start a, a trial, it takes about two years until you publish it. So everything's between six months to a year until we have more news and supplements. And then you were asking me about something else, but I forgot. Here's a quick little message to all men listening in to today's show. Do you want to double your energy levels, boost motivation, and increase your focus? 
If so, you may be interested in my epic men's energy program I've recently launched called Limitless. Now, Limitless is an exclusive 12-week program for men who want to go from feeling tired, unmotivated, or burnt out to highly energetic, driven, and focused. Within the program, I will analyze your own unique biology and lay out a fully personalized health protocol so that you can finally unlock peak physical and cognitive performance. Over the 12 weeks, you will have direct access to me to ensure your results as well as the chance to join me live twice a week to ask me anything relating to health protocols and discover cutting-edge men's health info to keep you at the top of your game. Now, spots in this program are extremely limited. So if you're interested in finding out more, make sure you go to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash limitless program to reserve the next available call to see if you're a good fit. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash limitless program. You'll also find this link in my bio on my Instagram profile and also my YouTube channel. That's pretty much it with the supplements. I mean, that some of those ones that you mentioned there, NAD Booster. Actually, I'm interviewing the... I just realized I'm interviewing the founder of that company tomorrow. Awesome. <laughs> Great. Yeah, so well, that's, yeah, that's in sync. And then you mentioned there's other ones like the... One thing that you mentioned before around the achieving sufficient fat loss, I'd imagine in individuals that are currently considered obese or in the overweight category, if they drop their weight, is that oftentimes the most powerful way for them to lower and reduce their biological age? So we did another, apart from that caloric restriction study, we did another weight loss, bariatric surgery trial with 40 patients who went through surgery. And then they were followed up six or nine months afterwards, and we saw an average reduction of about nine years, drop in biological age of about nine years. It varies patient to patient. So one patient dropped 39 years, another patient dropped two years. So it was, of course, it's a very individual response. We didn't follow them up longitudinally, and I think the problem with bariatric surgery is it usually doesn't change behavior, and you go back to the same pattern, so in the end, you end up in the same place. A lot of the times, I think if that was combined with you know, therapy, coaching, nutrition, that would be a far more successful intervention than how it's done at the moment. And then in that trial, we had another longitudinal cohort of twins. They were just followed over 20 years and tested in multiple time points, and we had their weight. So we can see which twins are gaining weight, which twins are losing weight, and we can see that the twins which are gaining weight age faster, the twins which are losing weight age slower. And this is like natural weight loss in the cohort. Of course, it's really important to manage your weight. weight, And it, it does, like you do have people who can tolerate a certain amount of weight and not have health, influence, health impacts from it. And then you have people who also can be quite skinny but have a lot of visceral fat. So it's not all as straightforward as BMI. It's not all as visual as we think it is. Mm, interesting. What about as far as the different types of ways to assess one's biological age? From memory, there's another assessment known as the DNA methylation. So mm -hmm. did you want to maybe talk about the differences in ways in which we can assess biological age? 
Absolutely. So both the first way that people thought we could assess biological age was telomeres. So most of the, if you go 20 years back, aging research was very focused on telomeres. Post the Hayflick discovery that you have a, your cells will die, they'll replicate a certain point, and then they'll die because of the shortening of telomeres. Uh, what they found later is that this is relevant to single cell aging. But if you look at a human being, we have trillions of cells, and if you collect a bunch of these cells and then you look at their telomeres and then you model an age based on that, it's not very relevant for systemic aging. Uh, and in fact, there are big studies that have followed up with health outcomes and the clock, the telomere clock that was measured there was not relevant for health outcomes. So it's a good way to see aging of a single cell, but on a systemic level, it's not so relevant. And the biggest problem was collection of the sample, because if you would collect, collect two different samples from the same person on the same day, you run analysis, you can get even a 10-plus year difference because you've collected a bunch of cells in a certain place. You're modeling an average of age of cells from a sample, and it's just not functioning on a systemic level. So that theory went a little bit down, but there's still lots of interesting things about telomere biology, and of course it's relevant to aging, but just not on the way as it was imagined as the aging mechanism or clock that we have. Then after that, the new, uh, I don't want to say new generation, but the next aging clocks were developed that were better than telomeres, uh, which was the glycan clock of aging and the Steve Horvath's epigenetic clock of aging. We published it on the 10th of December 2013, both of us at the same time. So Steve published a final version of his paper, and he was the only author, and we published our preprint version with 20-plus different authors. So R was more collaborative, Steve was more of an individual. And in the beginning, uh, the main difference we saw is that uh, epigenetics are very connected to chronological age. So if you're trying to guess the age of a person, epigenetics is a very relevant tool. While glycans are more uh, related to biological age or health uh, of a person. And we do, if you compare the two in the same trial, there was one comparison trial that looked at epigenetics, glycomics, but also lipidomics, proteomics, and, and other omics, and prediction of hospitalization within 10 years. Uh, glycomics, or an accelerated glycan clock, was most predictive of hospitalization compared to, to the others. And what they found there is that the original Steve Horvath's clock and Hannum epigenetic clock were not very good in predicting outcomes there if you had an accelerated epigenetic clock, or predicted some but not a broad range. There are newer generations which work a, a, a bit better on the epigenetic side. Lipidomics, proteomics were very risk-specific, so they were more going the direction of a certain health risk versus general aging. Epigenetics, like comics, were general aging. And then they did an experiment in the same trial where they put all of these clocks together into something they, they call the megaomic clock. So they put all of the different omics into one clock, and that clock gave you the perfect measurement of your chronological age, like mm. to the one year, and it completely missed every health outcome. The purpose of aging clocks is not to have the perfect measurement of your age. It should ideally be very different to your age. 
It should be up or down, and it, it, if it's down, it should be meaningful for something positive. If it's up, it should mean, be meaningful for something negative. But if you look at layers of what builds us, epigenetics is the next layer post-genomics. So it's how our trans, uh, genes are translated to build a protein. And then the protein is the workhorse in the body. It does most of the work. But when the protein is developing, it develops together with glycans. And these glycans have a genetic component. They're influenced by your epigenetics, and they're influenced by your immediate environment. And they do work in the body. Uh, they help the protein communicate with the rest of the body. So we are more upstream than epigenetics. Epigenetics are more downstream. Different layers, both very exciting. I would love to reverse all of the clocks, or both of these clocks for sure. But of course, I'm very biased and I'm on the glycan side. And we do have some hard data on the glycan side too. So. Yeah, that's fascinating. As you were discussing some of the interventions as well before, I just thought of one that I thought would possibly have a very powerful effect on reducing someone's biological age. And we know that during COVID and the virus, we experienced long lockdowns. So we had minimal social contact and the aspect of like social community and one's like social health I know that's going to be very difficult to assess in a study, but I'd imagine that like the quality of relationships would have to have an impact on the rate of, at which someone's aging. Yeah, so we know that mental health has a big impact, like depression, PTSD. PTSD has a very strong impact. Individuals with severe PTSD are on average 15 years above, 15 years older than the regular population. Mental health is huge. It's very hard to assess quality of relationships in the study, <laughs> then they'll be hugely biased. But we have had people pre and post-divorce, pre and post-relationship breakup, and you would see a big impact. You would see, I had a personal impact, but it would be from seven to ten years. That's what we've seen in a three to six wow. months period. And then as you follow them through time, they recover. Now, is it because of the mental health impact? Is it because you lose your appetite? Is it because you get more unhealthy habits? Whatever it is, of course, it's driven by the psychological event, but also influences behavior in different ways. So it's hard to separate one from the other, but 100% our mind controls everything. So, mm. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And also, as a little bit similar to that would be, I guess, one's actual physical environment exposure to pollution, things like that. And also, I'd imagine being in sunny, very bright environments with plenty of vitamin D would have to have an impact as well. Yeah. We did do something on environment in a population from India, one living in rural and the other one living in cities. And I think the conclusion there was different because there were so many chemicals, agricultural chemicals used in rural so actually the city population looked better, but it was because of the agricultural situation there. So it's probably if we were looking at Italy or if we were looking at a different rural place in the world, we would have had a completely different outcome to that. And then sun exposure, there's not, we haven't done anything, but we have, there was a study which was looking at skin aging and biological age, and 
the people who had more wrinkles sometimes even had better biological age because potentially they spend more time in the sun, they, they're more in nature, they exercise more, whatever it is. It looks like skin aging and biological, like inner aging, is, it can be quite disconnected and some of it can do to be to do with your environment. Yeah, interesting. What about, I'd love to hear about some, maybe some success stories that you've had with some of the customers that have actually utilized glycanage. I've seen on your website there's been some pretty significant reductions in their biological age in just after six months. So maybe do you want to share some stories about individuals that have significantly reduced their biological age? Yeah, of course. With customers, it's always, because everything's, you know, private, your data is your data, you own your data. So a lot of times we don't know what they did, how they did, why. And on their consultation, sometimes it's, if it's a very interesting story, the physician would say, hey, can we write about this in some way? So you have a few examples there that came for that and that we know the storyline because they spoke about it and there is a blog about it. The ones I know most about, of course, the ones close to me, and we do this as a team. So all of our team has access to the testing and there's a very nice story in our team that's my favorite story which is our oh I worked with her for nine years now in different companies and she's her family calls her help Nazi everything's organic everything has to be she's always been very enthusiastic about health and when she did the first test about four years ago she came back with a score which was exactly her age but she was expecting, because of all of these efforts into her health, that it's going to be under her age. And then she ran a follow-on traditional blood panel, and she identified that her thyroid was not optimal or was underactive. So she was heading towards Hashimoto's, or she was already in Hashimoto's, but because she didn't have any symptoms, she decided not to go on medication. And from there, she had a pregnancy, which aged her 10 years, and fully activated her, so she had really abnormal results. And then within two years, went back to this, her age, so exactly her biological age. And then over a couple of years, she experimented with different supplements, different diets. One thing she was doing for a long time was fasting. And fasting in a way that she doesn't eat any meal until dinner, and that's her only meal of the day. And although that was a nice weight management strategy, it did slow down her metabolism and affected her thyroid. And she was slightly underweight, so her BMI is about 18 or on the borderline of being underweight. So she changed her behavior around fasting and reduced the window. She eliminated gluten and introduced gut health intervention, which was optimizing for 30 different locally sourced plants, which can be herbs, seeds. The, the more local, the better. And the reason why that works is, you know how when people have an, kids have an allergy and you give them local honey and it helps mm. them get over their allergy? We do the same thing with food. We're informing our, our immune system about our environment. And the more informed our immune system is, the less inflammation it creates. So she optimized for that. And after three years of effort, she dropped for the first time. So she went under her age. She was five years younger. Um, and she ran her lab results uh, for her thyroid, and she was in normal range. So her Hashimoto's also um, went into remission. Uh, then she went back, all, back to the old bad habits, fasting, 
working crazy hours and everything else, went back up the nine years she lost. And then, again, implemented the good strategy, and now she's the youngest she's been. So she's 38, and she's 30, biologically, and her thyroid is perfect. So there's no more Hashimoto's. Mm. So she wouldn't have known that she had the risk for that had she not been upset about her biological age originally. And she wouldn't have experimented with interventions for that had she not had a general measure which told her if she's going in the right direction or not. Yeah, that's incredible. That's, that really comes back to what a few of these doctors that I've looked up to over the years have discussed the significance and importance of keeping thyroid hormones in the optimal range because they know that helps with energy metabolism, keeping cortisol low. And so that's really fascinating there. What about as far as some of the interventions for yourself, Nicolina, like in terms of over the years, I'd imagine you've trialed different, experimented with different things. And I'd imagine you've also conducted the test on yourself more than once per year. So maybe do you want to share what you found with your own uh, health? So I run the test every couple of months, so every two to three months. Uh, the first one I did, so I am 32 now. The first one I did when I was 24. So it was just, I went to the lab, we can take a blood test, and I could get the results. It was very unsophisticated, but it gave you like a little indication. It was pure science then, so I was not part of a trial, but got a little result for myself. And I did that once a year since. And at the beginning, it was, it was 24, and it came back at 22. And that was a stressful time. I had a startup, which was uh, stressing me out a lot, and I had a terrible diet. I was definitely stress-eating, and that had an impact on my gut, on my skin. Small things, but you can tell that it was having a health impact. I changed that through meditation. So I started this Vipassana, which is like a retreat, that it's like an ancient meditation retreat with, where you observe senses and you connect mind and body and then you don't respond as much to negative and positive stimulants. You get more control over your response. So I came back from that just before a burnout. And a couple months after, or even it took a little while for like my skin reactions to stop and for my gut health to improve, but I stopped stress eating after that completely. Like I, and stress just slid off me. So it was, I think it was a lifelong intervention that I still go every now and then. I do, I do meditate every now and then, and I think it has, a, it has quite a strong impact, especially something like that. I think the, if I just had a meditation app or meditate on my own, or I did a few meditation classes before, it didn't have as much of an impact as the 10-day silent retreat and vipassana as a technique. So that was my, I think, number one successful intervention. Then when I remeasured my age, I think I was 26, I was, a, I was 20. And 20 is our lowest score. So the clock goes from 20 to 80 at the moment. Now we're going to expand it from 18 to 95. But our, most of our population is 20 to 80. So I went down to optimal 20, and I tested that every couple of months, every year, and it never changed. It just stayed at, at, at 20. So I even, I think at times, tried to challenge it. So I would do competitive boxing or something that I know could, where you do a diet and exercise at the same time, but it just didn't change. It just stayed the same. So I thought that it was unchangeable. <laughs> I'm going to be at 20 years biologically forever. And then this year, I think in COVID, I lost a lot of the 
exercise routine that I had because I needed I need diversity in sport. I need some. I need to. I did like acrobatics before and things which were exciting, boxing and things which were always you had something new, some kind of new challenge. It was not like a, just a gym routine. So I could never really enjoy the regular routine and I missed this going out to do some type of engaging sport. So I, I lost a lot of exercise habits. And I think I started drinking alcohol, like a glass of wine, <laughs> every other day. And um, I started to travel. So as the country opened, as you can travel... I think we did God knows how many trips, and apparently I'm living on a few continents as well. But I started to travel a lot for work, and finally it started going up. So it went up to 21, 22. So I was going in the... I was finally doing some damage. <laughs> My, um, I, I, I do think I eat quite healthy. I do think I'm active. But I think as an entrepreneur, you do sacrifice yourself for a business a little bit, and then you want to limit that damage as much as you can, but you understand that this is not a regular life. You cannot have a balance for a while. Like you will. One thing I never compromise on or try to never compromise on is sleep. And that's something that keeps me stable. And if I do, then I, it, it, I find hard to have the crazy entrepreneur life, at least without the sleep or mm. at least some form of healthy food. And then beginning of this year, I had a relationship breakup after a long relationship, and I lost my appetite and started the new gym routine and traveled the crazy work life. And I went up 10 years or eight years. It was the first time it's ever gone up uh, wow. in a sh you know, shorter period of time. I don't know if it was just the psychological impact, if it was the loss of appetite. Like I would literally, I can go out for a day without eating or if it was that combined with the new gym routine. But that stayed there for a couple of months. And then I think just sometime before the, the summer, I got back into balance, started some therapy, which helped a lot, <laughs> and went down back to 22. So now I'm 32 at 22, and I'll try and get it down a few more years. And so far going so good. So far going well. Yeah, excellent. If you were sitting at 32 chronological age and your biological age remains at 22 that, that would be that's impressive being 10 years younger is uh is an amazing result i think if i were to i'll have to do the test myself after the podcast i'll have to organize a kit and test it out on myself to see what my biological age is i think i did a number of years back i did the um, dna methylation test and i think that came back at yeah 19 or 20 when I did it, yeah. which was great. Well done. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So that's really interesting. As far as the actual technology and the kit itself, my audience is probably now wondering where they can go ahead and trial and purchase one. Where can they find out more information about Glycanage? So we do have a consumer site. We work with physicians around the world. 600 physicians at the moment, so clinics and physicians. So you can find it with your longevity doctor or your preventative health doctor. But you can also purchase it as a consumer, just going to the website. You have two packages. One is just discover your age. So you have one test and you have a consultation with our team to explain the results to you and dig a little bit deeper and give you an action plan. And then you have another package, which is the intervention package, where you do a baseline. 
you get feedback on that, you implement a change over the next couple of months, and then you see how that's impacted your biological age. And that's a perfect way to test the diet, supplement, exercise regime, whatever it is, mental health, meditation, whatever you decide, all of it should have an impact, and you can see if it had an impact on you particularly and customize that to something that will be meaningful for your long-term health outcome. It's very simple to do. It's a home kit. It comes in a box that fits for your letter box, and then it's a finger prick test. You need four drops of blood, so you don't need to fill any tubes of blood. Those are really annoying to me. These are pretty <laughs> simple, so everybody can get four. And we ship it globally. So we've currently shipped to 60-plus countries, going from New Zealand, Australia, Japan, Singapore, Hong Kong, some parts of Latin America, U.S., Tel Aviv. It's, we, we ship pretty broadly. Fantastic. Well, I'll make sure to leave those linked in the show notes for those listening in, and I'll have to definitely trial it out myself. And, and my goal is to try and be the, the youngest the youngest 27-year-old in Australia. <laughs> Perfect. That's a good goal. Awesome. Nicolina, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was an absolute pleasure having you on to discuss the human glycome. And I'm sure my listeners will be very interested in trialing out the, the test kit, maybe posting their results online or sharing their results and some of their interventions. And also for the new studies that you mentioned, the, the ones that are underway now, hopefully by the stage at which this podcast is released, we can also link those in the show notes. But otherwise, I think we will probably cross paths in Amsterdam at the next biohacking summit, which would be, should be a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Thank you everyone for joining in to today's episode. For in-depth show notes and lessons learned, visit nofilter.media forward slash boost your biology. This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you want. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.